Welcome to Shared Instance, a podcast on iOS development by three developers in Cincinnati, Ohio. This is episode seven, where we're going to be talking about core data alternatives. Uh, I am Sam Corder. I'm Alex Argo. And I'm Alex Robinson. So guys, we had a little presentation at the Cocoa Heads user group this past week, and the three of us managed to pull that one out of a hat, kind of impromptu, but it was a core data alternatives. Yeah, it's something we've been looking at for a while and talking about on and off, and uh, we had an opening come up in our local Cocoa Heads, decided to to put the conversation together and have an open discussion about a few options. Yeah, I, it was great for me. I took a little time and was able to dig deeper into a couple of these technologies that I had wanted to look at but hadn't really played with that much and hadn't had the time to. So it was nice to be forced to take that time. Yeah, and, and I think for a lot of people, you know, they come in thinking core data is their one and only or the de facto choice. So it's probably good to have that conversation with folks that are newer to the platform, that there are options out there and it's not a one-size-fits-all. Well, it's in the name. It's core. It's data. A new person's automatically going to gravitate to this technology. I know I did. And the irony is the learning curve is so steep on that that it's probably one of the harder frameworks for somebody new to the platform to learn. I think it's not too hard to pick up initially, but it's hard to do it right. Yeah, yeah. And there's not a lot of advanced score data books out there. There's a lot of, here's how you get started, and then when you want to do something interesting or or your requirements are outside the uh, standard demo example, things start getting interesting. There probably aren't a lot of advanced core data developers out there outside of Cupertino, period. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. I think if you work with it all day, every day, you know, you start to get really familiar with it, but it's not a framework that you can use casually. Yeah, and I think part of working with it every day is part of the reason why everyone is looking for alternatives, because of all these rough edges and weird performance spikes you get into once you're handling, you know, not just simple chunks of data. Well, weird and, performance spikes and weird crashes when your app actually gets used by people out in the wild. I know we see a lot of NS managed object context crashes in our crash logs, but they're not reproducible errors. Well, so let's let's move on a little bit from uh, complaining about core data and let's maybe talk about uh, some of the things that we decided to try out in place of that. Um, so basically how we wanted to get started is uh, we kind of make a little, we made a little project that had a couple common things you want to do with a certain set of data. We actually use like the most recent 5,000 uh, Stack Overflow posts. Um, and we we had basically load all that into into your your data store we had query it we had delete all the data um just as a as a little stress test and kind of to get a little bit into the code for all of the different um 
options we have. And we actually have that code out on GitHub. You can find that in the in the show notes. Um, is there anything else you guys can think of? Well, we should throw out a little disclaimer that there's no real valid use case in the real world to import 5,000 large records into a database. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was purely for stress testing. Yeah, in reality, yeah, it would be a lot of one-offs. And we didn't use a transactional model either. It's always import this one, import this one, this one, this one. So there are things that could have been done a lot better. Yeah, but I think the the main point is we wanted to kick the tires on some of these options and be able to compare and contrast. Not Not necessarily that we were trying to benchmark them against each other, but just to get a better feel for what it's like to, to work with each of these tools. Yeah. And looking at things like complexity of the data, uh, the volume of the data, you know, is it, does it work better for transactional or more as a local cache? You know, what's the searching and querying like? Uh, things like that. Yeah, and uh, I think those are kind of the main things we were, we were looking into. Um, and we looked at basically, what was it, five other options than, than core data. Uh, we took a look at some kind of naive uh, approaches with NS user defaults and uh, key value archiving. Um, we also looked in some more advanced uh, libraries, FMDB, uh, Realm, and, and Yap. So Argo, you looked at NS user defaults and key value archiving. Yeah, those are... What were your initial impressions on that as an approach? Um, well, they don't... Not that you haven't been using those those tools for yeah. years, but... Um, they definitely have a, a time and a place to be used, and I was actually kind of surprised by some of the results when I did the test. But, I mean, basically, NS user defaults, if you have user preferences, you probably want to use that. Um, that's the, the key key place to use them uh, it has some some nice uh nice things about it like if you if you want to sync it across devices it's pretty easy to go and use the iCloud ubiquity uh store instead of just in the Caesar defaults it's pretty much the same API and you get syncing for free uh but so when when I uh took took NS Caesar defaults to this test case that we had i was kind of like oh this is not really anything i would ever recommend to use ns user defaults for but let's give it a go so i essentially um stored everything uh in one one ns user defaults key in an array um and did all of the searching and uh and whatnot all in memory and it actually uh was quicker to import than any of the kind of full stack um, nah, that's not the right word, but the the kind of more comprehensive solutions, more ro- robust. Yeah. Uh, so it's faster to load in, faster to to delete, and it seemed to perform really well uh, with five thousand records querying through every single one uh, in memory. Just just because these little devices we have these days are so fast, I tested on a. On an iPhone 5, which is the oldest device I could come across, uh, and things things returned 
it looked like in like immediately. Um, so I was kind of surprised about that. Yeah, it was very decent performance for what it was. And that's pretty much your easiest entry into local storage of data. It's it's a simple key value store. There's no real setup. Uh, it's just you know set object for for key and and that's mm-hmm. it. Can't get much simpler yeah, than that. Right. But querying across 5000 objects unless you're going against the in memory store it's going to be pretty slow if you have to inflate each one of those objects and then cast it off so you have to keep all that stuff in memory right and you can't model things like relationships using ns user defaults without a lot of manual yeah, and work you, and you wouldn't really own. want to either that's no. some of the other options are probably better for that that use case um but if you're just storing user preferences or game state or things like that, that may not be a terrible option. Mm-hmm. You know, if you go straight to core data, when you could get by with NS user defaults, you're yeah. probably spending too much time on setup and boilerplate yeah. code. Why don't you explain what key value, value archiving is? Yeah, so... So yeah, the next thing I took a look at was key value archiving, and it's basically if you're familiar in pretty much all, every other language you have, there's some interface that you can implement to to make an object serializable, and that's what this is. And in, in iOS, uh, you implement uh, and it's coding, uh, right? Yeah, and it's coding. Um, I was drawing a blank there, <laughs> and then. Uh, and basically, that's implemented already for you in all your standard NS string, uh, any of your NS number classes and dictionaries and arrays and, and things like that. So you just implement that, and you can uh, save it out to to a file, read it in from a file, and it'll just spit right back out into the, the object structure you had. Um, so the kind of the performance characteristics of of key value archiving are, are pretty similar to NS user defaults under the hood. I think it just gets written to a, a P list in, in both situations. Uh, although I think there are other storage mechanisms you can use, but um, yeah, basically uh, the, the nice thing about key value archiving versus just throwing the dictionary of stuff into NS user defaults is that you actually have a, a model object that you can play around with that, you can read and write from pretty easily. Uh, there, just like we said with NS user defaults, you probably would never want to use this kind of in the scenario that we did, where you were managing five thousand of any type of uh, data. Although there are some interesting use cases that that I've heard of in the wild. Uh, actually, I think Alex, you told me about a specific case for social networking apps. Can you go into that a little bit? Yeah, in theory, you could get away with using key value archiving to serialize your objects for, let's say, a post or hundreds or thousands of posts to disk. And just it, we built a utility in the past to be able to read those in page by page and and do that asynchronously. So we'll load what we have available right away go out, fetch more, and then merge that into the result set when the network call comes back. And it works really well. I'm a 
I'm a fan of key value archiving in in certain scenarios. Well, just having your model objects implement the NS coding protocol allows them to be used in so many more places than just key archiving. Yeah. And if you have app code as your tool of choice, you can just go the code generate and it'll generate all your encode decode for you. Um, to me, that's my biggest complaint about key value archiving is just the the pain of having to add every every property to that and <clears throat> hope that you don't forget to add the property to the encode decode methods when you add it to the class. Now, do you have to decode in the same order that you encoded in? No, order is not really okay. important. Um, and and it's actually kind of nice. This is a way of handling migrations as well. So if you, let's say you add a property to your class in a future release, uh, you can update your your decode to add a default value for that new property or, um, you know, let's say you change the format. So it's a nice little opportunity there to, to handle migrations in a simple way. Hmm. I think the the use case probably would be the best to use use this as if if you're you're really just doing more of kind of a local cache of of something you're pulling down from the server and it's very simple data like just one one list of things like a social network or something along those lines yeah and the other scenario is application state or or some sort of model state you know i i think uh i think argo you mentioned game state as something that you've done yeah, in we the past using key value archive yeah, we use we use Key value archiver to to save your your last gameplay so you can pick up right from where you left off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's that's pretty cool. It's definitely something that if you came into iOS and you went straight into core data like me, that's something you overlook as a viable solution. Yeah, and the and the great thing about both NS user defaults and key value archiving is you don't have to bring in any third party frameworks. It's it's baked into the, the the foundation. So, yeah, that and their simplicity are the two the two nice features. Yeah, and again, key value archiving. You could have model objects that contain other model objects and serialize that whole mm-hmm. uh, object graph to disk. Um, but generally, you're probably not going to do complicated relationships with joined queries. Yeah, probably just a hierarchical relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But so that wraps up our non database backed entries into the shootout. Robinson, do you want to talk about what the one that you looked at? Yeah, yeah. I took a look at Realm, and um, anybody who's kind of keeping their finger on the pulse of news in the iOS community has probably heard about Realm. Over the last several months, it's, it's definitely the new become hotness. A, yeah, yeah, and uh, it's it's claimed the fame as it's an object database. You know, it doesn't use SQLite as its backing database, so it it has its own database engine, and it's been uh, built to have a client for both iOS and Android. Uh, so the, there's some nice features here in that you're just working with objects, so you don't have to worry about this this object relational mapping uh, silliness that we 
I've had to do in other languages, but um, you can just work with pure objects, you can model relationships, um, you can query it uh, using NS predicate. It's it's arguably a, a pretty nice option, and they claim to be faster than even going straight with SQLite, uh, which, which is a pretty good argument for it. Yeah, so how do you query from Realm? You use uh, NS predicates similar. In a lot of ways, Realm feels a lot like core data, except you don't have all this boilerplate code and setup that you have with core data. Uh, so it's an object store. You query with NS predicates. Um, you can There's methods on your Realm objects to fetch all the objects or delete all. Uh, so like core data, your model objects have to extend a, a, a class of the framework. So in this case, RLM object. Uh, you know, which is also one of my biggest complaints about both core data and Realm is that you're forced into this subclassing model of somebody else's objects, somebody else's framework, um, which which is less so ideal. So unless you take the pains to keep that isolated into your data layer, the Realm objects and the core data objects are all going to pollute throughout the rest of your application, correct? Yeah, yeah. relationships use an RLM array instead of a you know, a set or an array of, you know, whether you're Swift or Objective C. Um, hey, Swift, Swift doesn't. So yeah, it would be pretty sets, easy. Right? Not until they're out of beta. Yeah, not until <laughs> one two. So yeah, there, there's definitely this risk of of the realm concepts leaking into the rest of your application, and just like NS managed objects with core data. What do you think of Realm's threading model compared to core data? Generally, it's a little bit more approachable, I think, than core data. Um, you still have to be careful, of course. But the RLM objects are thread safe, where an NS-managed object is not. Um, so as long as you access the same Realm when you're on different threads, you're generally safe. But you still have to be a little bit cautious. So do you have a, you don't have a, say, realm per thread. You have one main realm. And then how, what happens if I pass an object over a thread boundary? That object's still thread safe as I understand it. Um, I'm, it's still not a 1.0 release, so, you know, Design patterns may emerge with, like with a lot of these others. You know, core data didn't have nested context as a concept until much later. Uh, FMDBs has their model with um, having one writable connection and then as many read connections as you want. So, you know, we might see similar patterns with Realm in the future. Uh, it's hard to say. That's still still very much a evolving project, but one to watch yeah definitely out of all the solutions that one probably had the lowest amount of code to it yeah 
Yeah, absolutely. If you want simple, you if, you know, from a balance of simplicity and power, it's attractive. So, Sam, do you want to tell us about uh, one of the ones uh, you looked at? Looked at what about uh, Yap? So, Yap is interesting. It's a kind of an object database, but maybe described as more of a key value store. And your objects that you store into it, they have to conform to the NS coding protocol. And it will encode and decode your objects on save and retrieval. Um, but it doesn't try to map your keys into various columns inside of a SQLite table. Rather, instead, it's storing your entire object into one table and it keeps a bit of extra metadata around that, like the key that you store it under and the collection that it's part of. And so for me, it felt a lot like, say, working with a Mongo database where I'm going to drop an object into a collection and it's got these keys and then I can query back on those keys. Now, to query by key, different keys other than the, the main primary key, there's a little extra setup to go through. But it was relatively painless. And it handles a lot of things out of the box with a little extra setup, uh, like relationships and things like cascading deletes, all kinds of just things. You can tell it's definitely a database made by developers for developers. They've come across their needs in their projects when they wanted to get rid of core data, and they fulfilled those needs. So out of all of them, I think it's been my favorite to work with. Uh, the Realm object, the Realm thing looked very simple, very nice to use, but I still liked the, the model that was in Yap a little bit better. Yeah, they've got a really interesting architecture where they leverage the key value archiving uh, so it's it's based on a pretty simple concept, but they've got this plugin architecture that lets you add features, uh, things like encryption and full text searching with very little effort. Yeah, it, it's very much using uh, SQLite and taking advantage of things in SQLite under the hood, but at the same time getting the benefit of being a, a key value store. Now... Some of the ones we've talked about, like Realm, they're portable across platforms. Like I could ship a database to an Android guy, and he could use it there. But um, Yap would take a lot more work to, to be compatible or cross-platform because of the coding stuff. Yeah, there's no Android key, key value archiving, huh? <laughs> <laughs> no, but you can specify your own custom encoder or decoder when you set up the database. So you could, in theory, encode, decode the JSON if you want and make it fairly platform independent. True. So the last one we looked at was FMDB. What did you... Uh, Sam, you, you built that sample app. Yeah, that was mine again. Um, so if you've ever worked with SQLite in another platform... Uh, and not gone against the C API directly. Uh, this is what FMDB would be for that. It's 
it's just wrapping the C API and making it nice for an Objective C user to to access it. Uh, it really doesn't hide any of the SQLite details, or you still have a result set. You iterate through it the same way you would inside of a the C API. Uh, you have some objects that encapsulate some of the parts of the C API, but other than that, it's a very thin layer on top of the C API. So this would be a good choice if you are in love with SQL and and uh, you you like to get down to the metal and write interesting queries. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. A lot of these things they're not expressive enough for very complicated queries. It's more about most of them are geared towards storing an object, reading back that object, finding that object by a certain value, but not necessarily doing a lot of uh, reporting type functions where you're summing and, and averaging things. And all of that is built right into SQLite and transparent through FMDB. But there is a there is a um, ORM written in the Objective C that goes on top of FMDB. Uh, we kind of had to cut that from our scope as far as being able to look at it. But it's FC model. I believe it's written by Marco Arment. Yep. I, yeah, I believe you're yeah, right. I think it's in beta right now, but... Yeah. And I, I don't think... know if it compares to, say, Hibernate or some other very mature ORM. I don't believe it does uh, relationship support. So it's it's very there for simple use cases, probably, you know, most of the ones that he had writing his apps or whatever. Um, but it does seem to kind of make some of that code really, really lightweight and easy to write to kind of along the realm lines or... or or magical record if you ever use that in core data. <laughs> <laughs> so the FMDB, I liked it. It was a, but you definitely are dropping down to a little more primitive layer. But then again, you could ship that database to anywhere, and they can read it. I would imagine it's also kind of less error prone. Error prone. It's been around for a while, and it's like you said, it's very low, low like close to the metal and it's it's hard to run into weird edge cases when when you're that close yeah and you, you do have to manage your threading a little bit more closely as far as you're connecting to the database and reading and writing it's mostly left up to the the user Yes. So there really isn't much abstraction about the SQLite database here. It's it's mostly just convenience methods and classes to make working with SQLite easier. Right. So it it doesn't try and and hide those details, uh, which is definitely good if that's what you need. Uh, but if you're not comfortable with SQL, then you probably want to stay away from that. <laughs> this is probably another case where if you needed to, you could not use the same code, but you could still ship your SQLite database off to, you know, an Android developer and have them read out of that database as well. Yeah. And related to that, with a lot of these options, a lot of times you need to debug or take a look at what's actually stored in the database to make sure it's working properly or to um, to debug an issue. 
So what are the options with any of these tools for looking at the database? Well, I think that's the catch. Obviously, FMDB, since it's straight up SQLite, that's the, the most approachable. Yap comes in, well, I would say Yap falls in third. Core Data would come in second. I mean, it's got a slightly odd structure, but it, it's, it works. You can view the data enough and see it. But Yap, it, uh, you have to look at the encoded objects, and you're not going to see that in a SQL browser. What about Realm, Alex? Realm uh, ships with its own browser, so they've solved that problem by providing the tool. Uh, but with the SQLite options, you can use pretty much any SQLite client that you have available to you. But yeah, I, I can see where Yap could be a bit tricky. So even though you can see the tables, you can't necessarily interpret what's in the in the columns. Well, yeah, the data is all one column, really. But on the other hand, if you know that your encode and decode are solid, you know your data is getting down into the database fine with the app. So I guess that would be a good case for unit testing. And Yap's been getting a little bit of buzz lately, so I, I could definitely see more effort put into maturing that product. It seems fairly mature already, but maybe we'll see a Yap database browser in the future. I suppose you could, but it would probably have to dynamically load classes. Or provide a representation of the properties that are stored in the, or serialized to the columns. Which might be more of a case for plugging in your own JSON encoder. Yeah, I think the you know, major point to take away is that there are other options out there other than core data, and it's not a one-size-fits-all. It kind of depends on the use case, when to use what, and there's nothing wrong with mixing and matching. You know, NS user defaults is great for user preferences, but you might also use core data or FNDB to store more complicated uh, data related to the application. Yeah, or maybe you're writing like a quiz app and you use... NSKeyed Archiver to store the questions, but the actual transactional data, like the answers and what people do with the questions, you can store that in a relational database. So I hear there's one pick out there. Yeah, uh, something that was released recently is a series of videos from a conference called Dot .swift that was over in Europe. I saw that, but I did not get to look at the videos. So there's um, just a handful of videos that are around 20 minutes long each, uh, covering specific topics related to Swift. Uh, one of interest for some people might be Ashborough has a talk on Swift in production and uh, recounts his experiences of building and, and shipping an app in Swift in the very early days, as well as a number of other top topics from other folks in the community, including a developer from Realm and another from Twitter. And his talk, is he talking about the, the app that they did for the art museum? Is it Artsy? Yes, Artsy, yeah. And that's all, that code is all out in the public, available for anybody yes. to see. And it's a reactive Cocoa project, I believe. 
Yeah, I believe so. So definitely a lot of cutting edge stuff right there. Well, that sounds like something uh, to check out for sure. Um, I think that's about all the time we have this week. Does everyone want to tell us where they, they can be found on Twitter? Sure. Uh, I'm at Sam Quarter. I'm at AJ Robinson. You can find me at Alex Argo on Twitter. Excellent. And the podcast is at Shared Inst. If you have been liking our show, please take some time out and rate us in iTunes. And also, you can find us on Stitcher now. Thanks, guys.